0: Welcome to Kingdom
1: Talk 2.0 Radio Hour with Dennis McCord, founder of God Hope Ministry, and Pastor Charlie Avila from Clovis Christian Center. Kingdom Talk is where Christ is King, and we are subjects and citizens of the Kingdom of God.
2: Oh, yes, we are. Kingdom Talk 2.0 every Saturday from 1 to 2. Let's start that over. Are we on Facebook? Okay, that's fine. Let's just start. Can we start over or what? What For the radio? Okay, let's just do that. Oh yes, we are Kingdom Talk 2.0 right here on 1550 KXEX the best talking town. That's every Saturday from 1 to 2. We're broadcasting live from the luxurious Liberty Studios reverberating off the foothills of the Sierras back to the valley bringing the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God and as always we have Pastor Charlie Avila with us here today on Kingdom Talk 2.0 Pastor Charlie it's a joy to be together.
1: Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. And it's always good to talk about the Word of God and especially what we're dealing with, the prophetic scriptures. So thank you for having me. And I enjoy talking about the Word of God with you.
2: Yes, we need to be looking into the scriptures, you know, be Amen. those Bereans that are searching the scriptures daily uh, and, and to see whether those things are so, right? And, Amen. And, and receive the Word with all readiness of mind. And especially when we see what's going on, I mean, we're looking. At the screens right here on the news, massive explosions in Gaza as Israel strikes, and the uh, U.S. It's, it, uh, hit a uh, target last night in Syria and and uh, uh, blew up some of their their ammunition there. And um, it's just a a broadening theater of war. And and the question that comes to mind is, you know, are we uh, at the beginning of the Battle of Armageddon? We did address that last week. I want to review that, be- but before we do that, I just want to recover the fact that. No, know, we need to uh, uh, be silent where the scriptures are silent. We need to whisper where the scriptures whisper. And we need to shout where the scriptures shout. And we want Amen. to keep the main thing the main thing. And we're recognizing that eschatology or Bible prophecy is not an essential teaching of our faith. That we have dear brothers and sisters who we're going to spend eternity with and have a different view. And yeah. we want to facilitate unity. Even even in the midst of the diversity yeah. Even in the midst of having different understanding and emphasis, you know, we hold to a particular eschatological construct or end-time scenario regarding historical premillennialism where mm-hmm. we're not seeing a pre-trib rapture, but we're seeing a post-tribulational rapture, but we do see Christ coming before the millennium. And that is in contradistinction or difference from all millennialism that sees the church as being the, the millennium now, which which is just, it's mind-boggling, Pastor Charlie, that people hold to that. <clears throat>
1: Right. Uh, I agree. I have friends who are pastors who are Lutherans, some are Presbyterians, some are Southern Baptists, some are charismatic Pentecostals, uh, assemblies of God, (laughs) have a lot of different persuasions of friends and we can stay in the same room together. We can still preach the same gospel, still share Jesus Christ with other people and not have an argument over eschatological beliefs. Uh, I think it is important that we understand it and study it and be firmed. And as Paul said in Romans 14, he said, be fully convinced in your own mind. We really do. And not just about subjects that he was dealing with in Romans 14, but it's about, uh, about eschatology. We really need to be fully convinced in our own mind about what we believe and not based on what people are writing in a book, but based on what the word of God is saying. That's so, exactly right. And, yeah. and
2: and it's eschatology matters. We've talked about this, you know, it, it's, it's a motivation huge. for, for holiness and to be ready to be alert, to be looking, you know, and, and all of that. Uh, but it's also in light of what's happening right now, Charlie, yeah. uh, with the war and where do you stand with Israel or with Hamas? You know, I mean, just, just that alone has implications. Yes, absolutely. And and so, you know, uh, just taking a little shift here um, with regards to the idea of, you know, there's no future for Israel that we're in the millennium now that the preterist view on these prophecies that we see as futurist. um, One thing that's really helped me, I've been really diving into this the, the, the last week or two with regards to Paul in Romans 11. So I'm shifting here a little bit uh, from our schedule. No problem. Paul Paul in Romans 11, um, you know, he he talks about how that I would not that you be ignorant of this mystery brother, unless you be wise in your own conceit. The blindness in part has happened to Israel until the, the, the fullness of the Gentiles be brought in. And so all Israel shall be saved. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And he says, "For as it is written," and he quotes from Isaiah fifty-nine, "That redeemer shall uh, come from Zion." Yeah. What's amazing is all millennialists, like Steve Gregg. By the way, Steve Gregg is on fifteen fifty a.m. every weekday from two to three. You can call in. He's a friend of mine. Uh, he's a good brother. He's an amazing Bible teacher. But he's got this wrong. Mm-hmm. And I've I've called in. And uh, debated him. I've actually debated him live on the radio for two or three hours on this subject, uh, at least of Revelation 20. But it's just mind-boggling that that he can uh, interpret it these verses that way because uh, uh, he's quoting from Isaiah 59, which in context is clearly it's eschatological. It's mm-hmm. it's referring to a time of uh, the enemies of Israel being destroyed under judgment. And the redemption of the nation of Israel. So I want my listeners, our listeners, to 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 look at that when you get a chance. Go back and look at the actual quote. And but what what Steve Gregg and all millennialists, those who are su- supersessionists or replacement theologians, they believe the church has replaced Israel. There's no future for Israel. Right. The church has superseded Israel. Mm-hmm. There's no future for Israel. Yeah. Um. They will say, well. All Israel being saved is that it's in the church. Yeah. Jew and Gentile. That's not what that's talking about. No. Look at the context. So I'm really buttressed in my faith and my understanding Mm -hmm. of the end times when I really research it myself. And lo and behold, after all, it's true.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It is a
2: a premillennial coming of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And there is a restoration of Israel. Um, Yeah. Also, uh, Isaiah 65 and 66 where it talks about the new heavens and the new earth. Um, These are called messianic kingdom passages. There's many of them in the Old Testament. What all millennialists, like my friend and good brother, Steve Gregg, believes, that that's talking about the church age. Mm -hmm. When in reality, what's really interesting is, out of all the 400 plus, almost 500 allusions and quotes in the revelation of the Old Testament, Mm. okay, in the book, 65 and 66 of Isaiah are never referenced or alluded to mm. until the revelation 20 through 22. Mm. So John, the revelator takes those messianic kingdom passages of Isaiah 65 and six, where it talks about the wolf shall dwell with the lamb and a, a child being hundred years old shall die. And. New,
1: new heavens, and, and, the new heavens
2: earth. and the new earth. Mm-hmm. John does not apply them to the church age. He re- applies it to the final eschaton, mm-hmm. the final age. Yeah. He applies it to the future. Yeah, that's That's a huge interpretive tool mm-hmm. to interpret Scripture with Scripture, to yeah. do inductive Bible study where we're pulling exegesis from the Scripture, what the Scripture says. That is a huge encouragement. In addition to that, the battle of Gog and Magog, Steve Gregg and other preterists. you know, Again, in one sense, preterist just means you know, that the scriptures have been fulfilled. In one sense, we're all partial preterists because we recognize the scriptures regarding the first coming of Jesus have been fulfilled. Yeah. But Steve Gregg, believe it or not, he says the battle of Gog and Magog, which we're going to be talking about here in a minute, the, which, I, which is the battle of Armageddon,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, he says that Ezekiel 38 and 39 is a historic battle. Mm. But what is mind-boggling is that right there in Revelation 19 and 20, the same terminology of the fowls of the air having a feast upon the corpses that are destroyed in that battle, Hmm. John the Revelator uses that same terminology for the second coming of Jesus and for the final battle at the end of of the thousand years. Yeah. So so that is another important tool to understand that these uh, scriptures are talking about the end times. Also, the judgment in Isaiah 13 on Babylon is applied futuristically by Jesus in Matthew 24 in the Olivet Discourse. Yes. Yet Steve Gregg and others will say, well, it's strictly talking about that battles in the the history of Israel way back hundreds of years before Christ came. Also, Haggai 2 interpreted futuristically in Hebrews 12. You and I have talked about this on a previous program, so I ask our listeners to dial in. So that's showing that there's still a future reality of shaking the heavens and the earth, and that the kingdom that we're receiving is an ongoing, increasing kingdom of the increase of His government and His kingdom. There shall be no end.
1: Yeah, and in Isaiah thirteen, there, uh, verses four down to the verse thirteen. Yeah, that whole section there is about the Day of the Lord. It mentions even that phrase "Day of the Lord" multiple times in there, and it's a time of cataclysmic judgment and destruction. It was not just something local with Babylon. It was something that was involving all the nations and all the world and a lot. And Jesus quotes that, that this is at the time that he's going to be coming. He's quoting words directly from Isaiah 13, 10. He's quoting it directly. So we know that that can't be something that's historical, that already took place. It's something that's future that no one has ever seen before. And a while ago, you were talking about Romans 11, verse twenty. What is it? Verse 25, 26, where uh, verse 20, 11, 26, where he says, all Israel will be sl- mm-hmm. s- saved. And then he quotes, like you said, right out of Isaiah there, 59, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. That whole chapter, he, well, chapters nine, 10 and 11, he was dealing with Israel and he's and in this chapter, he was dealing with the Gentiles who are going to re- receive Christ Verses. Uh, the pe- the Jewish people, the, the people of Israel, right? He makes that distinction. Some of them have been broken off while others are grafted in. And then, uh, praise God for that remnant that will be grafted back in at the end. But there's making a clear distinction, not that the church is replacing Israel, but it's making a clear distinction that there's two different people groups that he's talking about right there. Yes. So the context shows you he's talking about my people. He's uh, uh, Has God cast away? his people. And he says, hey, I'm an Israelite, I'm of the seed of Abraham, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. So he's talking about Israel right there, he's not talking about the church, not talking about the church replacing anything. So it's clearly the context reveals to you that he's talking about the the people of God, the Jewish people, the the Israel, the people of Israel. The
2: descendants of Abraham. And yeah. cause no less than twelve times is Israel mentioned in that whole section there. Mm. And every time it's in distinction from the nations, from the Gentiles. Absolutely. Every single time. But Steve Gregg will say, No, that one time it's talking about the church. <laughs> so so yeah. it's, So, you know, we're not just shooting in the dark here. We are exegeting with a solid hermeneutic. Uh we are doing inductive Bible study to understand what's going on. And then just finally here, the one last point is is uh, Isaiah 24 through 27, which is this mini apocalypse, yeah. is futuristic. Yeah. Uh, the context in Isaiah 27, 1, of, behold, Leviathan, Leviathan that great and piercing serpent, mm-hmm. he destroys Leviathan, right? Yeah. John the Revelator is expounding upon that and expanding upon the mini apocalypse of Isaiah 24 through 27. Yes. And in the context of Isaiah 27, 27 there, it's the destruction of uh, the enemies of Israel again, and the redemption of Israel. It's a future as to where Steve Gregg will say the binding of Satan happened in Jesus' ministry and the church has been binding Satan over the last 2,000 years so it's during the millennium now which is all millennialism which the (laughs) church is in the millennium. But yet Isaiah in the context is the future uh, battle uh, uh, against uh, uh, Israel and the enemies of Israel being destroyed and Israel being restored. Yeah. So these these are solid reasons. Just for review, I I want our listeners. If you're listening to the podcast, which if you're not, I recommend going to your Apple Podcast or Spotify and downloading Kingdom Talk, and you can subscribe and like and share. But you can also go back and listen to this section again, because I don't want to just say things and have it bypass people's ability to understand. Right. So just in quick review, six really solid reasons why we understand these Bible prophecies to be future regarding Israel and regarding the millennium and Mm -hmm. the battle of Armageddon. Okay. Um, Just in review here, what we just talked about was Isaiah 59, which Paul quotes from in Romans 11, all Israel shall be saved for the redeemer shall come out of Zion. It is in context in Isaiah 59 at the time of the battles against Israel, the enemies of Israel being uh, destroyed and Israel, Israel being restored. The second point is Isaiah 65 and 66, talking about the new heavens and the new earth, are interpreted in Revelations 20 through uh, uh, 22 in the future by John the Revelator. The third point is the battle of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is interpreted futuristically. Also in Revelation 19 and 20, it uses the same terminology about the fowls of the air, eating the corpses of the dead bodies that are destroyed in that great feast. Fourthly, the judgment in Isaiah 13 on Babylon is applied futuristically by Jesus using the same terminology in the Olivet Discourse. The, sixth, the fifth point is Haggai uh, chapter 2 is interpreted futuristically in Hebrews 12. It's not just something in the past, that that kingdom is something that's increasing. Um, and then finally, Isaiah 24 through 27, the mini apocalypse is uh, in context, uh, is, uh, John is referencing it in uh, Revelation 20 at the binding of Satan. Uh, and in context, it is an eschatological battle. Again, the destruction of the enemies of Israel and the redemption of uh, the destruction of the enemies, right? And the restoration of Israel. So, so those are some points that I think are really important for our listeners to wrap their minds around. But
1: and we, you know, we know that those chapters there in Isaiah, Isaiah 24 through 27, uh, there's so many elements in there. There are statements in there at the end of chapter 24 about the rapture. But interestingly, just to have a biblical proof of it, Paul quotes in 1 Corinthians 15 when he's talking about the rapture that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God and that we need to get a new body and that we're going to put on an imperishable body, an immortal body. We're not going to be corrupt anymore. We're not going to sin. We're not going to die. We're not going to be sick anymore. He quotes from Isaiah 25, verse 8, when he talks about the rapture, he says, And I'm quoting right here. It says, he will swallow up death forever. The Lord will wipe away tears from all faces and the rebuke of his people. He will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. And then it says in verse nine, and it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. This is when Jesus comes. We have waited for him. He will save us. This is our Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So Paul quotes from Isaiah 25, verse eight in first Corinthians 15 to establish the rapture. So we know, so we know he's quoting directly from Isaiah 25 verse eight to say, this is about the rapture and this is something that hasn't taken place anymore. So we can't, we can't make it as something historical, something that's already happened in the past. It has to be something future because the rapture hasn't happened. We haven't got our resurrected bodies yet. So well, that, that's, that's a direct
2: quote. <laughs> there you go. And, yeah. and and we look in context yeah. we have to uh, really understand uh, the old in light of the new yeah uh, we interpret scripture with scripture but uh the, uh the the New Testament is hid in the old and the Old Testament is revealed in the new amen and uh, that's a good solid way to understand scripture so last week we talked about the when of Armageddon mm-hmm. so when is it going to happen again you're listening to Kingdom talk 2.0 that's every Saturday from one to two right here on 1550 KXCX. The best talk in town. And when we look at the when of Armageddon, is this really the battle of Armageddon that we're seeing? That was the question that we were answering. And we're mm-hmm. saying no, that it's not, although it's setting the stage. yeah. And so just in quick review, why is that? Well, first of all, in the final battle, we see Israel standing alone. Only Yahweh intervenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this battle, what's going on right now in, southern, in Israel, well, southern Israel, northern Israel, now Syria and yeah. Yemen, and just, it's just is expanding out. Yeah, uh, Russia's is, is, is rearing its ugly head, you know, even China. I mean, it's just but but the reality is, is that there are nations like America and European nations that are coming alongside Israel in that final battle. It says uh, that I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. Yeah. So that's why we do not believe this is the Battle of Armageddon, um, although it's setting the stage. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, is that it's during a time of peace and safety. When this battle happens, we see in First Thessalonians five three, when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with a child, and they shall not escape. Mm-hmm. And so also in Ezekiel itself, when it talks about this battle, it talks about Gog and Magog coming on a land of unwalled villages, a land that's recovered from war, it's dwelling securely, and so on. That is not the case. Leading up to this war, there were rockets being fired into Israel on almost a daily basis, mm-hmm. skirmishes. There were some terrorist attacks sporadically throughout. So it really wasn't a time of peace. Yeah. Right. And so what we understand is that most likely there's going to be a lull in the birth pangs, just like it happens in the Braxton Hicks. There's strong birth pangs and there's lighter ones and strong ones, strong ones, and there's a lull. Mm-hmm. So there's a good chance. Again, we're not being adamant about this, but it most likely that there's going to be a time now after this war where the enemies of Israel are subdued to a large degree. Mm -hmm. Hamas will be eradicated. I I don't think there's a question about that. Mm -hmm. I think Hezbollah is most likely going to be eradicated as well. Iran Mm -hmm. will hopefully be disabled largely with regards to their capabilities. And then there's going to be a semblance of peace, and it could be setting the stage for the Antichrist system, Mm -hmm. the world economic, religious, and political system. And so those are things that we want to be aware of as subjects and citizens of the kingdom of God. Um, yeah. And and just be looking at, but but who is this talking about in mm-hmm. Ezekiel thirty eight? Yeah, you know, would you be able to read a little bit of that? Uh, maybe just sure. verses one through one through one through uh, six. six. Um, okay, Ezekiel thirty eight, Ezekiel thirty eight, chapter thirty eight, verses one through <clears throat> six. Open your Bibles if you're listening in, and uh, let's take a look at this, and we'll try let's try and figure out who who is Gog and Magog.
1: All right, so Ezekiel 38, verses 1 through 6 says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son a man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshech, and Tubal, and prophesy against him, and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses and horsemen, all splendidly clothed. A great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling handling swor- swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them. All of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all its troops, the house of Tagarma. Uh, from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you.
2: All right. So we talked about the timing of Armageddon, that, that mm-hmm. this is not happening right now. It'll be a time of peace. There'll be a lull in the birth pangs, and Israel will be uh, alone in this battle, other than Yahweh coming ultimately to fight for them. Now mm-hmm. we're talking about the who. Who, who, who is this mm-hmm. that's involved in, in this battle? Yeah. Um, and so we see here you know, Ezekiel uh, 38, 3 to 4, it's 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 an is it's a war against Israel led by Gog. Mm-hmm. All right. What's interesting is that uh, Gog is mentioned uh, in Genesis 10, there in the Table of Nations, mm-hmm. the sons of Japheth: Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshach, and uh, Tyrus. So, so, so we we understand that Gog and or Magog are sons of Japheth. Well, if you look at a a Bible map, an atlas, you can see that the sons of Japheth—I have one here uh, on these slides that we're looking at here—but but it's actually up north. The sons of Japheth are up there in the north, by where Turkey is, the Black Sea, mm. uh, and and north of the Black Sea. Yeah. So this has been understood by Bible. Uh, anthropologists and archaeologists. Mm-hmm. They lived in the region north of the Black Sea. Some consider their territory stretched from Ukraine to Siberia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so that's that's who uh, Gog and Magog are, the mm-hmm. sons of Japheth in mm-hmm. the north. And we read, you just read there in Ezekiel
1: thirty-eight verses one to six about they're from the far north. Yeah. Right. So I, I think there's a, a well, and, and you can help me with yeah. this to understand yeah. correctly. But as I'm reading this text, and I I have done this study uh, because I recently did a teaching on Revelation 20 where it talks about Gog and Magog. And in Revelation 20, it's referring to all the nations. But here it says that Gog twice. It says here in verse verse 1, he's the prince of Rosh, right? And then it says it again in verse 3, O Gog, the prince of Rosh. And it calls him a him. So my understanding was that Gog was the leader over that and that Magog was the land, right? The land of Magog. So yeah. it's, it's Gog is the person, the yeah. ruler, right? Yeah. Magog is the land, right? So that was my understanding of it. When you go to revelation 20, it uses it kind of in a generic way. It says Gog and Magog, and it refers to there in Revelation twenty verse seven and eight. It talks that they are that's the nations, you know, and that's that's after the millennium, right? right. When the enemy comes, uh, R- Satan has no longer has the beast and all that, so he has to he just takes Gog and Magog. So
2: yeah, I think that's most likely what's going on there is that the Gog uh, is the ruler of the land of Magog. Yeah, he's a prince. May a or Ma M A can mean the place of dog. There's, there's a way to interpret it the other way around, but that's most likely what's going on there. And, um, yeah, so w- also what's what's interesting to consider is is that when we look at wars that happen, like what's going on in Ukraine? Are we at war in Ukraine? Well, yes and no. It's a proxy war, isn't it? Yeah. You know, we, we see proxy wars all the time. Yeah. Uh, so are we at war with Syria? Well, yeah, we actually almost literally, literally are now, but, yeah. but there's proxy wars. Mm-hmm. So I do think that it's important to understand these nations that are mentioned, they are around Israel. Yeah. But uh, most likely they're going to be fighting the proxy war for the beast system. Mm -hmm. They're they're going to be aligned with the world system. Yeah. But they're the ones that are actually on the ground right there coming against Israel. Yeah. I think that's important to really consider. Mm hmm. Um, especially in light of there's a teaching out there. Um, I'll, I'll just say Joel Richardson has a book out on, uh, the well, Islamic antichrist mm. and not just a book. He has a whole ministry and he believes the antichrist is going to be an Islamic. It's going to be a worldwide caliphate. Mm. It's going to be, you know, uh, that the system is going to be from the inspired by the Quran and all that. Mm. I don't see that. I mm. see it as and I think you do as well. Yeah. The same in, in most scholars, it's a Eurocentric system because we yeah. know that fourth beast of revel of Daniel seven, mm-hmm. that great exceeding and terrible beast. Yeah. Okay. That tramples down all the others. Yeah, that's Rome. That's the fourth beast. It's a yeah. revived Roman Empire. Yeah. And the fourth uh, metal mm-hmm. well, mixed with iron and clay, the feet of that beast. Yeah. Uh, in Daniel two yeah. is Rome. Mm-hmm. So it has to be a Roman entity. And we see the EU arming to the teeth right now. I mean, mm-hmm. the Ukrainian war. I mean, it's amazing what's happened in the last few years. Just, just yeah Germany is arming like they never have since World War Two. Yeah. Uh, Europe is arming. Mm-hmm. NATO is becoming more bellicose mm. and hawkish. Yeah, now Finland and Sweden's coming in. Wow, Turkey is. I saw this years ago because of an understanding of Bible prophecy. Mm. I knew that Turkey was going to turn against Israel. Yeah, they have they have been historically an enemy of Israel, but in the last couple of years, uh, Erdogan mm. met with Netanyahu at the UN and shook his hand, and there started to be a cooling of relations. Yeah. And I knew that was not aligning with. The prophecy. Right. Do you know that in the news in the last three days,
1: last couple days he he, yeah.
2: he said Hamas is not a terrorist group right. and that he was basically deceived, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, deceived by the so-called good intentions of Netanyahu and that now right. he's not going to go to Israel. He was planning a trip. He was going to be in Israel like right now. Yeah. He canceled his trip, aligned yeah. with Hamas, yeah. defended Hamas, bloodthirsty yeah. terrorist organization, Islamic terrorist organization yeah. and has turned against Israel and yeah. that's exactly who we're talking about here in these who who is this so we'll get into this a little bit deeper mm-hmm. but this is very contemporary to what's happening in our world right now yeah um and so to understand the eurocentric system uh that's going to take... and let me just throw this out there now I'm getting way out on the periphery here okay yeah. so I'm not adamant about this but I want to say yeah. I do think AI will definitely play a part here here's here's how, what I'm just suggesting mm-hmm. is that really what's what's <laughs> Tell me if I'm wrong on this. I mean, basically, whoever develops the most powerful and fastest and uh, controlling uh, AI system, Mm -hmm. they will design it like a virus to go and destroy every other AI, Mm -hmm. and it will take over all of the systems of the world Mm -hmm. and establish this one world economic, political, and religious system through the AI system Mm -hmm. I think that's a likely scenario I'm not saying that's exactly what's going to happen but the reality is Europe and the United States have the technology we are the leaders of technology and I think that most likely we're going to see something like that. Now, just take that with a grain of salt. I'm throwing that in at no charge. If you have any disagreements, just email Charlie at, no, I'm Yeah, kidding. <laughs> no, there's,
1: there, there's a lot of concern, of course, with AI, right? Yeah. And even the prime minister of the UK the other day said, he said AI could help people build uh, chemical and nuclear weapons, you know? So it's, it's very interesting. There's a lot of discussion going on right now, a lot of debate going on of how, how potentially dangerous AI is going to be well, in and, these last days.
2: And, and that's the thing. God yeah. forbid one nuclear explosion in a metropolitan area will change the world overnight. Yeah. We thought the COVID power grab was bad. Yeah, That'll be a walk in the park. God forbid there's a nuclear explosion somewhere. Overnight, our liberties will be taken away. Yeah. Everyone that does not comply with the system will be cut off. Yeah. And we know that we're not going to bow down to, uh, a false religious world system.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, and so, um, we just need to be aware of that and not, yeah. not, not anxious, but even yeah. excited that we see the Lord's coming soon. Yeah. Lifting up our heads. Yeah. And so, um, looking here again at Ezekiel 38, who is this Gog and Magog, you know, mm-hmm. uh, son of man, set your face against Gog and the land of Magog. Mm-hmm. That's the new King James version there. Yeah. Uh, the prince of Rosh, mm-hmm. Meshach and Tubal, and prophesy against them. Um, it's interesting most translations have something like this, the RSV it says Son of Man set your face against Gog in the land of Magog, the chief prince, mm-hmm. okay of Meshach and Tubal. So Rosh Rosh uh, uh, is means head, it means chief, right? Mm-hmm. We have Rosh Hashanah as the head of the year. it's the, mm-hmm. the new year. Now some erroneously have made an etymological, connection phonetically with rosh and russia in other words these words sound like oh so that must be russia right. no, which yeah. is really weak right yeah uh, but but lo and behold after you really study it out even though there is no solid basis for a word connection between rosh and russia there's mm. plenty of evidence for magog including the including to, to, to it actually being the land of of, of russia and ukraine mm. uh, so uh, again, some throw the baby out of the bathwater and they reject the idea of Russia being Magog uh, just because there's no word connection. Mm-hmm. But we, if you really search this out, uh, it's amazing to consider. I love this. This is some of my own study personally, uh, just uh, looking at first source resources and documents. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can go to the Dead Sea Scrolls. To the Book of Jubilees. Now, the Dead Sea Scrolls are amazing. I just am fascinated with them because we have the Bible in the Dead Sea Scrolls. We have Mm -hmm. the Book of Isaiah and, and, and pretty much all the books of the Bible. There's a couple Bible books that are not in the Dead Sea Scrolls and we have fragments of some, but we have a whole Isaiah which is dated about 150 B.C., which the earliest Hebrew manuscripts we have from the Masoretic Text are about 1,000 A.D. Wow. And so this is like uh, 1,150 years earlier. Wow. And they line up, though. Yeah. It's just such a faith builder with regards to God preserving his word. Yes. And so when we look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, we can see here that uh, that Gog and Magog is Russia and Turkey. And we also can look at Josephus Mm. and see that he affirms that it is Russia and Turkey. Mm. Um, So this refutes the Muslim Antichrist theory uh, also um, uh, with regards to that. But uh, some say uh, uh, Gog is, is, is the ruler of the land of Magog. But, but uh, the, I mean that's, I think that is exactly what's going on there. But let's just, moving forward here, mm-hmm. from the Dead Sea Scrolls, from the Book of Jubilees, 8, 25 to 30. So chapter 8, verses 25 to 30 of the Book of Jubilees. I have a copy of that electronically. You can get it online if you're interested to look at that. But um, it says right here from the Book of Jubilees, again, we're looking for evidence. What is Who is Gog and Magog? We want to really understand this. We don't want to just go with some knee-jerk commentary. Mm-hmm. But let's find out for ourselves. It says, The sons of Japheth, Gomer and Magog and Madai and Javan, Tubal and Meshach and Tyrus. These are the sons of Noah. Mm-hmm. Okay, And then it goes on it says, And for Japheth came forth, the third portion beyond the river Tina to the north, an outflow of its waters, and it extends northeasterly to the whole region of Gog and to all the country east thereof, and it extends northerly to the north, and it extends to the mountains of Celt toward the north. Mm-hmm. Now, again, this is talking about Japheth. Mm-hmm. and we, t- we read in Genesis 10, verse 2, that Gog, Magog, is the son of Japheth. Mm-hmm. And here, Jubilees in the Dead Sea Scrolls is telling it says it extends northerly, the land of Japheth, to the north, and it extends to the region of the river Tina in a northeasterly direction. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and it says uh, this is the land that's the inheritance of Japheth. Now, so where's the river Tina? So, again, that's just being a good student and wanting to really understand who this is talking about. We're not saying that the book of Jubilees is scripture. We're not saying it's the word of God, mm-hmm. but we're wanting to understand uh, in the milieu of Judaism, mm-hmm. in the land of Israel, there, uh, 150 years before Christ, who did they understand right. the sons of Japheth to be or mm-hmm. Gog and Magog? Yes. And um, it says it's uh, the region of the river Tina. Well, and according to a footnote, uh, in, in my library that I have of uh, Charles Worth's um, edition of uh, the apocryphal writings, he says the River Don uh, uh, is the River Tina, and uh, it, we see that uh, it's in Russia, okay? Mm. Uh, it was an ancient Greek city on the Don River uh, in the marshes there north of the Black Sea. Mm. So this is, again, according to Jubilees chapter 8, verses 12, the River Tina is the River Dawn, and we know the River Dawn is right there, right in Russia, Mm. southern Russia, north of the Black Sea. And you can even just Google this. um, If you just Google and go to even Wikipedia, look at the Dawn River Delta, or look up the River uh, Tanais, T-A-N-A-I-S, and we can see that it is definitely Russia. Mm -hmm. And it's also uh, right there, in that area where they're taking over Ukraine, they've Ukraine. actually taken over some of that land right near the River Tina, mm-hmm. expanding Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so depending on how that war ends up, how much of Ukraine becomes Russia or not, yeah. um, it just, uh, again, reaffirms the idea of Russia being uh, the land of Magog, mm. right? Now, so going from the Dead Sea Scrolls, we went, we went to Genesis 10 2. We saw from the Bible that the sons of Japheth are the people of the land of Magog and we know that Japheth uh, he settled way north there in the area of Turkey in the Black Sea and north so that's from the Bible then we went to the Dead Sea Scrolls and we saw from Jubilees chapter 8 that uh, that the people of uh the sons of Japheth or the people of, of Magog uh, are up there in the uh, River Ts area there in Russia, so now we're looking at a third resource, the book of Josephus. Mm-hmm. He was a first century Jewish historian, um, and you can uh, read his writings. They're available for free online. Amazing resource to understand what was going on there in the first century and even, even prior. But uh, from his book, The Antiquities of the Jews, in chapter uh, uh, 6, uh, verse 1, um, it's the first book. So it's the, it's the Antiquities of the Jews, book 1. Chapter 6, verse 1: Magog founded those that were, that from him were named the Magogites, but who are by the Greeks called the Scythians or Scythians. So the Scythians, we can just just Google that. Um, If you just look up the Scythians in Wikipedia, you can see they're north of the Black Sea. Mm. It's Russia. Yeah. And so. There we can see just looking at the scriptures, looking at the Dead Sea Scrolls, extra biblical resources there from uh, the first century B.C. and uh, first century A.D., uh, Josephus, the Jewish historian, that Gog and Magog really are Russia. uh, They're north of the Black Sea. Now, was Ronald Reagan a prophet? This is quite an interesting piece of history here. I would not say Well, we see here in... uh, in, uh, this new Beacon Commentary, Ronald Reagan, while addressing the California legislature in 1971. This this blows my mind. Right there in Sacramento, um, we did a, uh, a tour of there uh, recently. You and I, didn't we? We walked through the Capitol building together. Mm-hmm. I, no, that was actually Pastor Jesse I'm thinking of. Uh, but I was just there and uh, a few months ago, and we did uh, the tour there, and uh, right there in that Capitol building, it says that Ronald Reagan in 1971 famously claimed that Ezekiel's Gog was communist Russia, mm. a viewpoint that would shape Reagan's political perspectives in the United States' foreign policy in various ways over the next two decades. Now, wow. yeah, I'm not saying that Ronald Reagan was a man of God, but I'm just saying even Ronald Reagan understood. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I mean, he might be
2: one of, one of our favorite presidents and so on, but it is interesting that he actually saw that and stated that right there in the Capitol building in Sacramento. Mm. Um, and so we also understand that Gomer who's mentioned there in Ezekiel 38 originated north of the black sea where Russia is today. This is the NIV study Bible mm. uh, regarding Ezekiel chapter 30. Can you, are you there? You, do you have that slide right there? Yeah. The NIV study Bible. Can you go ahead and read that commentary there on, on Ezekiel 38, six Gomer.
1: Yeah. It says another of Gog's Northern allies uh, mentioned in Genesis 10, three and first uh, Chronicles one, six as one of the sons of Japheth according to non-biblical sources these people originated north of the black sea mm. beth to garma mm-hmm. and it says see note on uh 2714 according to genesis 10:3 and first chronicles 1:6 to garma uh, is one of the children of gomer there you go yeah
2: so so gomer itself is identified as being russia mm. in that area up north so may, that area north maybe northeast uh, more towards you know uh, towards China, but um, it's it's incontrovertible that Russia is a player in the final end time battle. And doesn't it make sense, Pastor Charlie? Yeah. With regards to the geopolitical situation, yeah. You know, who who's the second or third lo- most powerful nation in the world? Yeah. Russia, right? Russia, right now. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense that they would be a part of that. Yeah. And lo and behold, the Bible is is pointing in that direction. Um, yeah. uh Also in the Smith's Bible. Uh, a dictionary, it says uh, the, the second son of Japheth, Genesis 10-2, and a founder of of a race, uh, the great Scythian tribe now called Russia. Mm. Okay, so, so we see several commentaries that are pointing to this as well. And then we see in Ezekiel 39-6, which you read, mm. I will send fire on Magog and on those who dwell securely in the coastlands, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So who else is being... Included here is the coastlands. Mm. Well, that term was generally understood for Europe. Mm. Um, uh, And really the entire world. But back then, Europe was the far, the far west. And it was the coastlands. Mm. Um, It's the word IY or uh, I Mm. uh, uh, in the Hebrew. And it's a masculine noun, meaning island or coastland. It depicts the Phoenicians as coastlands, distant islands or shores were designated by this word "I," mm-hmm. okay, and um, in general, the islands, the shores, and the coastlands of the Mediterranean Sea are indicated. Mm. So, Europe is right there. Italy's uh, on the Mediterranean Sea, Sicily, Spain on yeah. the Mediterranean. Right, this is Europe. Yeah, and so um, it's uh, it's interesting to consider that and to look uh, at uh, what's going on there. So, so. These nations are are really, Meshach and Tubal, are modern-day Russia, Turkey, uh, and even Europe mm-hmm. are, are included in this battle. Um, and then um, we see Gog, Magog, Meshach, Tubal. Uh, so so we have Persia as well being mentioned. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, and so that would be Iran. Mm. And we're just reading in the news right now about Iran, you yeah. know, that they backed Hamas. yeah. They're backing Hezbollah, which, by the way, it's interesting. Hez uh, in Arabic means party, and, and then Ba means of, and then Allah. So Hezbollah mm. is party of Allah. Mm. And it is that same spirit that you were referencing earlier, yeah. Charlie, regarding the Prince of Persia Daniel 12. Yeah, Michael and Gabriel fought against that spirit yeah. in the heavenlies, and that's where we're joining in in prayer when we're praying for the peace of Jerusalem we're yeah. joining in that there'll be a victory over the lies of Islam and that the truth of the gospel would go forth, so that millions of Muslims can be set free and we can enjoy eternity together. Yeah. With millions of our Arab yeah. friends, our Palestinian friends, our Jewish friends, mm-hmm. our Irish friends, our Mexican friends, <laughs> Amen. all of us. Yes. Um, together, uh worshiping the Lord from every tribe, nation, people, and tongue. Amen. And so uh, again, Gog, Magog, we see these. These terms are, 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 are really those nations around Israel. So the invading armies, including Russia and Turkey from the north, Sudan, Libya, okay, um, Algeria and Tunisia from the south, mm-hmm. and Iran from the east. Mm-hmm. So from those nations that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39, we learn that this is the alliances that are happening right now. Yeah, it's um, amazing. With regards to, uh, the battles that are being fought right now in Israel. Now, we're not saying that this is the Battle of Gog and Magog, the Battle of Armageddon. We're, we're saying that it's setting the stage for that. Mm-hmm. And as we mentioned earlier, there's most likely going to be um, a lull, a time of peace and safety leading up to this battle after most likely this war that we're, we're, we're seeing right now. Um, <coughs> so let's be praying for the peace of Jerusalem because when we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that's praying for the peace of Gaza, it's praying, praying for the peace of the Middle East and the whole world. But again, when we look at the headlines, it's amazing to watch, um, you know, just the, uh, the way Turkey is aligning more with Russia and now against Israel. Mm-hmm. We have, uh, headlines here from just a little while back yeah, that the, uh, the Russian invasion has changed the Ukraine Turkey relations. Um, we see Turkey and Sudan mm-hmm. having an enduring relationship mm. So they've recently just reinforced their, their relationship, even Turkey and, uh, Libya. Yeah. They're taking sides there and having influence in Libya. So is Russia. Russia's involved in that. Um, these alignments are, are amazing. Um, Russia makes inroads in, in North Africa is one of the headlines here. Um, it says, so while us attention is focused on, on, uh, on other things, it says, uh, there's a fire raging in the Middle East. Russia is quietly expanding its pressure in North Africa mm. to the detriment of U.S. interests. Yeah. Okay. So this, this article talks about inroads into Libya, Tunisia, and Algeria. So mm. this is all aligning with accordance to the prophecy of Scripture in Ezekiel 38 and 39 um, and elsewhere in Scripture. Mm. Erdogan is, is meeting with Assad, another headline. Um, and what's also interesting is that Turkey has boosted its military power over the past year, uh, moving up uh, two places in the global firepower's uh, list of most powerful armies. Mm. And it's the most powerful one in the Middle East, it's number one in the Middle East. It's wow. first Turkey, then Egypt, then Iran. They're saying Israel's number four. That, that, I, don't, I don't know if I trust that at all. No. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe, so, may,
1: maybe going by just strictly numbers or maybe something, something like, that, like because,
2: that, but the bottom line is Turkey really is, uh, a, uh, military might in the middle East Yeah, and uh, I tell you, passing through Turkey, it's an, a beautiful country. I love the food, I love the people, um, the architecture, the history, yeah. but, uh, there is an anti-Western mindset. I experienced Absolutely. some physical challenges there. And I went to the hospital and they, they mistreated me and it was, there was some clear racism going on there. Mm. Um, but, um, anyhow, uh, it's amazing to just look at the, uh, the headlines, but ultimately we understand all nations are gathered against Jerusalem. Yeah. So, so you have the local nations of Russia, Turkey, you know, the nations around Israel, Saudi Arabia, right? Iran,
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, and even North Africa coming against Israel. But uh, most likely, they are the proxies for the world system, Yeah. a Eurocentric system, as we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. whereby this false religious geopolitical economic system is united against Israel, and Israel's alone in this battle. We see in Zechariah 14, verses 2 to 3, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem, to battle mm-hmm. and the city shall be taken the houses plundered and the women raped and so on half the city shall go into the exile but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle mm-hmm. can you believe our dear brother Steve Gregg and other all millennialists they'll interpret this as already have happened yeah and, and then you read the rest of the chapter 14 it's you know I, it's not a good exegesis <laughs> yeah to say the least Right. Uh, and so um, just understanding these things are helpful because we don't want to be duped. We don't want to be deceived. And timing is everything. We talked about the timing of the Battle of Armageddon. Mm-hmm. We talked about the timing of the rapture. We've been focusing on that quite a bit for our listeners. Yeah, They can go back and listen if they haven't heard already some of our previous podcasts on Kingdom Talk 2.0. Um, but what's interesting is, is that you know, I went to the United Nations years ago, over 30 years ago. Mm. And I... And the front of the building there in New York, Mm. they have a quote inscribed on a uh, cement uh, memorial. Mm. And what what is it? It's Isaiah 2. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks, and nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Great scripture, wrong timing. Yeah. That scripture is not for now.
1: They're wanting to... it to be fulfilled right now. That's but it's not hope. until
2: Jesus, when, when, when does that happen?
1: Right. When Jesus comes back, right? Right.
2: Now, what should be on there is Joel 3. Can you read that? Joel, Joel 3. Joel 3, verses 9 and 10. Now, that's what should be posted on front of the United Nations as far as the timing.
1: Right. Joel 3, verses 9, 9 and 10. Yeah. Okay. It says, Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men. Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Go ahead. Go ahead. Read on. Read on. Yeah, it says, assemble and come all you nations and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Verse 12 let the nations be awakened and come up to the Valley of Jehoshaphat for there. I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Uh, that's
2: the verses that should be on front of the United Nations. Cause that's yeah. what we're facing right now. Right. The United it's Nations is war. a effectless, completely inept yeah. uh, organization that has, uh, you know, my, my wife's from El Salvador and, and they had the war down there yeah. and they had a United Nations post there and everything. Mm. And they would drive by and they called it United vacations. <laughs> You know, it's a vacation it's like, to their it's like, it's like there's nothing they were doing. They were doing nothing to help solve the war, right? Yeah. And so, United Vacations, you know, uh, really uh, ought to have Joel chapter three verses nine to seventeen inscribed, yeah, as a memorial. Not Isaiah two, where it says they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. And so, uh, it's all about timing, isn't
1: it? Yeah. Everybody wants peace right now. They're not going to get it till the Prince of Peace comes. Yes, so, Yeah.
2: And when we see these visions of Daniel coming to pass, mm-hmm. uh, Daniel chapter two, that, that, that image, the great image with the head of gold, uh, the, 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 breast of silver, the thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. Um, yeah. That's the time that we're in now. Yeah. We are in the time of feet and iron, the feet of iron and clay. And there's a restored European union, European Eurocentric system yeah. that's going to take over uh the world and establish a false peace. Yeah. Right. Um and so uh also that fourth beast of Daniel seven, it's understand is it's important to understand that. So
1: um, I'm wondering how and you would know this, uh how people that believe that, the all millennials believe all of that, uh, and, and make it all historic or something that's already happened in the past. Because when you read those scriptures, and if your heart is open to it, and you want the scriptures to re- speak out to you exegetically, when has that ever been that all the nations have gathered together? When have there been these kind of battles? That when all these cataclysmic things are happening in in the heavens and the earth, and on the uh, and on the earth, when, when has that happened? How do they interpret that? What what do they this say about the 70. I know. So they said that 70. happened. 87, 87. He was there when, when the
2: Romans came around. Right. That there was probably a few Greeks in there, and maybe one uh, or two. You know? No. No. That's not what that's talking about. Right.
1: So that right the way you just you just need to deal with reality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, 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 just deal with what's real. You know, it's just like the reality of it is 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 uh, it's not ha- has that has not happened. It's never happened. It's never happened in the history of the world. And it even says. That there was going to be things happening there that have never happened in the uh, ever uh, in in the history, uh, even and the up Lord to shall yeah. go
2: forth and fight for them, yeah, as in so, the day of battle. That didn't happen. in 80, never 70, But no. what they'll say is, well, what happened is over the 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 millennia, the yeah. church ended up over the centuries. They took over Rome, yeah. and so they ended up establishing, you know, the Holy Roman Empire, which I don't see that as being, you know, uh, God's kingdom. No, uh, and so. Um, you know that they took over and Christianized Europe, so yeah, uh, it's 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 just not a good exegesis. No. It's not a good hermeneutic. And and Steve Gregg accuses a uh, premillennialist of not doing a good uh, exegetical work. Well,
0: yeah,
2: I'm sorry, Steve. <laughs> I hope you're listening in, yeah. but I, I'm not seeing what you're seeing there in Zechariah 14. I ask our readers, yeah, you know, to to do that. And you can email me if you have any disagreement or even you want to comment or question. At yeah. Dennis.McCourt at gmail.com Dennis.McCourt at gmail.com mm. and so um, yes uh, it says his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives yeah. which is before Jerusalem in the east the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof this is Zechariah 14.4 mm-hmm. right after all nations you know, you, you can spiritualize it away and make it say whatever you want you have yeah. to be committed to a presuppositional construct Yeah, uh, and then superimpose that on these verses yeah. And we all are guilty of that from time to time. We have to be careful that we don't come and and have our minds made up and then we go find scriptures to back up our doctrine. Right. We want to be that's deductive. Yeah. You, you when you deduce you, you have a you have a a proposition, you have a doctrinal statement and then you deduce from there that these scriptures must mean that rather than inductive where you're building up a case exegetically pulling from the scriptures what the scriptures say yeah. to come to a conclusion. Right. Inductive versus deductive. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and, uh, uh, so, uh, his feet shall stand on uh, on that day on the Mount of Olives, which before Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and toward the west. There should be a great valley. Half the mountain shall remove towards the north and half of it towards the, when did that happen?
1: Yeah. When does that happen? But then you have to, they have to spiritualize it, right? And get it to say some, some other things. Right, right. Yeah. When, when origin and all those guys began and Augustine began to spiritualize scriptures uh, with a lot of things, not just end times, but they just began to spiritualize a lot of things. They, you go look at their conclusions and they all have like 20 different conclusions because they spiritualize it to make it, make it what they believed it was. You know, you can never arrive at a true conclusion. Your, your people can come up with their own interpretation of what it is. So, Right, yeah. you and never so, you never arrive at anything certain. You're just always left in the dark. Well, who's well, right? Who's wrong?
2: Well, I've mentioned this before, but it's interesting yeah. that even Augustine yeah. saw Israel back in the land yeah. to lead up to uh, the, what we see in Zechariah. Yeah, uh, and so he saw a restoration of Israel. He saw the Jews coming to faith yeah. wholesale. That blew my mind when I studied that out. Yeah, that Augustine that mm. late, and of course the earlier fathers. Yeah. Justin Martyr and and Polycarp and uh Irenaeus, they all saw a premillennial coming of Jesus and they all saw a future for Israel. Yeah. Uh yet these all will just even jettison that. Mm. And it's all millennialism with preterism, st- uh, overly preterist viewpoint. Yeah. Um now that's not to say that there isn't poem poetry in the prophets, yeah. right? Um, where you have uh, you know, every valley shall be exalted and the mountains shall be brought low. What we do have to understand. That even that poetry does talk about something uh literal, like a voice in the wilderness. John the Baptist was literally in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just that he was in some place he was spiritually dry, right? He was in Jerusalem yeah. and he he wasn't feeling the spirit, you know. No, he right. was literally in the wilderness. Right. Right. And so, yes, we have to recognize that there is poetry, there's simile, mm-hmm. um, uh, there is hyperbolic language where mm-hmm. he's exaggerating in the mm-hmm. scriptures. There's different genres, yeah. You know, uh, there's historical narrative. There's apocalyptic uh, genre as well. But the apocalyptic, meaning you know um, these kind of uh, cataclysmic uh, sections of scriptures is talking about judgment and the day of the Lord. That it uses, it does use hyper hyperbole, Mm -hmm. but you have to be able to understand that it's also talking about some real time in literal space. Fulfillments that are happening, and um, right. when you read Zechariah fourteen, although it does fit within apocalyptic genre of, mm-hmm. of scripture, um, it's talking about something in the future. It's talking about the nations coming against Israel. It's talking about a geopolitical situation where the Lord comes and then fights for Israel. He establishes them, and then all nations that don't come up and worship Yahweh in Jerusalem are are, are judged without yeah. rain. Right. So so. Yeah, the, and, and let's see how the apostles interpret the Old, how Jesus interpreted the Old Testament. Yeah. And when we see the first century, the first century, first coming prophecies of Jesus
0: mm-hmm.
2: about the virgin birth, being born in Bethlehem, yeah. right? These are literal. Yeah, they really happened. So we don't want to just interpret the first coming prophecies literally and then take the second coming and spiritualize them away. That, that That's doing damage to Scripture.
1: Yeah, and you know... Uh, if I, I've been reading a lot of history because we were going to go to Israel um, a couple of weeks yes, ago <laughs> and I was reading a lot of historical books and Israel coming together as a nation and, you know, being declared by the UN and our president uh, Truman at the time. As a nation was absolutely a supernatural event of God. It, there you was, go. it was just, you can't get around it. You cannot get around it. And you look at what happened, what is happening in Israel right now, bringing together all these Jewish people from Eastern Europe, from Russia, from all over the world to come back together to that land that was given to them. It's a supernatural event. You can't deny it. You can't spiritualize it. You can't talk it away. It's supernatural. It's supernatural what happened to them.
2: No question. As Dr. Yeah. Michael Brown says, he says that what God has scattered, no man can gather. <laughs> if God right. judged Israel in eighty seventy, which he did, yeah, then he's, is he going to allow man to reverse that? No, it has to be God. There's no other people group that have been dispersed like the Jews and brought back into the land and
1: reestablished never. as a nation. It's, it's a miracle
2: never? of God. Totally. It's a fulfillment of prophecy and it ought to encourage us with yeah. regards to the solidity of God's word, and that, and
1: we, and that they could be remain as a as a, as a, a Jewish identity, you know what I mean? They could yes. have scattered and just inter inter intermingled with all the the people, but they didn't. They came back as Jewish people. You know, yes, there was intermarrying, but not very much comparatively speaking. So, well, yeah.
2: yes, what a joy, Pastor Charlie, yeah. to be looking at these things again, looking at the timing of the Battle of Armageddon and Gog and Magog, mm-hmm. looking at the people of the battle of Armageddon and Gog Amen. and Magog. To understand, we want to be humble. We're asking the Lord to continue to guide us. We hold these things loosely, knowing that the Lord knows the end from the beginning and we don't. But thank you all for listening into Kingdom Talk 2.0. Let's lift up our heads. Have a blessed afternoon. God bless you all.
1: Amen. God bless you guys. Jesus is good. Amen. you go to someday
0: But there's much to do Here before